Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and Julie Harris, we are back, and today we're going to be talking about six of the worst income-wrecking mistakes agents are making in today's market. But before we get to the first point, I think you have a really great story from our friend in LA, Federico. Yes, who is not making the deal-wrecking mistakes. In fact, this story, I hope the uh, listeners pay attention because it's going to wind a whole bunch of things together. That's right. So we're starting out by telling you the story of what happens if you don't make six of the income-wrecking mistakes with this story, and then we're going to get into the weeds as far as what you need to be avoiding. That's right. Okay. So this is a text from Federico who lives and sells in Los Angeles. He says, hi, Julie. This is uh, hot off the presses right from maybe a couple days ago. Uh, Federico says, I just finished showing clients a new construction community. While the build rep was showing us the model, a lady walked in and asked if she could listen in on the build rep's presentation. She communicated that she and her husband were looking to downsize and was asking the builder how the financing would work. Okay. So let's stop just for a second. How many of you listening in Los Angeles believe that there's no new construction around? We could just start with that point, but moving forward. uh, During that conversation, I asked her what her situation was and asked if she needed the funds from the sale of her property in order to close on the one she might be looking at. That led to the build rep stating that they would only finance her if her current home was in escrow. So there's a lot to that too. Which, by the way, that's probably the build rep not really knowing anything about how to, you know sell a house using financing because the reality of sure. it is is the builder wasn't actually using their own money they were using a mortgage broker and she probably yeah. still could have worked that deal but she was looking for the easier deals of mm-hmm. people that had no home sale contingency that's right and which, using kind of a lame objection handler no you can't do that exactly which uh, positions our friend federico listen in that's right now when the build rep exited the room She thanked me for helping her articulate her points. This is the walk-in potential buyer. And asked if I could email her all the information for the new build, to which I responded that I was the agent for the other couple in the room, but that I would be happy to help her. That led me to asking her to uh, how soon she needed to go on the market. When she responded, uh, we are still decluttering. I don't know where to start or how it all works. I asked her where the home was and what they were asking and asked when I could stop by and see it since I may already have someone. How many of you guys would have gone for the appointment right then and there? Think about that. She answered, that sounds great. We need to declutter first, so I won't, it won't be possible until at least uh, later next month. Let me also work on my husband as far as the new purchase goes, and then we can schedule an exact date for you to come by. I got her contact information, another mistake that agents sometimes fall into. I got her contact information and stopped the conversation since I did not want to be rude in front of my existing clients there. When I left the showing, I called this lady. There's the immediate fallback, uh, follow-up. I called this lady back to continue the conversation and to schedule a tentative day and time to go look at the property. She said that she and her husband will be going on a short trip and that we can uh, circle back after my trip. We'll only be gone for a week. During the call, she asked me what commission I would charge. By the way, people don't ask that if they're not serious, do they? 
Okay, she asked about my commission, to which I said, that's a great question. I actually have a flexible fee. What's the best email for you so I can send you a little bit about me and my team and about how we work? That'd be the pre-listing package. That way, when we meet at the house, we can focus on the items that are most important to you. Also part of the scripts you learn in premier coaching. <laughs> I mean, it's textbook. She, a totally 5,000% textbook. She gave me her email, thanked me for helping her while at the new construction, and expressed that she was excited to have me come by their house. There now, you have it. Most certainly, by the way, to add on what you said with regards to the people asking com about commission that quick, Yeah. 99% of the time when they ask out of the gates like that, it's because they've got another agent in their back pocket, which it probably isn't a professional agent in the sense that maybe it's somebody they just know as their neighbor or, mm -hmm. or you know, Uncle Bob who basically lists a house every thousand years or something like that, who will probably do it for free. or you know. Th so that type of question was that the agent, I'm sorry, the seller was looking for a reason to take Uncle Bob out of the equation because she really liked uh, Federico and wanted to do business with him. Yes. But most importantly, yeah. though, to mm -hmm. your point, he used the scripts that we teach these guys uh, to use in Premier Coaching. Um, and that was one of the obvious scripts that we use that mm -hmm. you learn when you're uh, presenting the pre-listing pack and the listing presentation. So all this was woven together. And what we're trying to express to all of you, so hopefully you're all understanding, is there's opportunity everywhere. You just have to go where the opportunity is and quit waiting for the opportunity to come to you, which leads us, Julie, perfectly into point number one. And remember, guys, these are the top six uh, income-killing mistakes that agents are making now and, frankly, in a lot of cases have normalized. That's right. So point number one, or mistake number one, and we're also going to have some action steps how to fix these problems ASAP. Mistake number one, playing the waiting game, waiting for the market to crash, waiting for interest rates to come down, waiting for inventory. Waiting doesn't get transactions into your pipeline, nor does it help your clients and prospects to achieve their goals. You must take control of your day, your week, your month, your quarter, and your year in order to defeat the waiting game. Say this at least 10 times. If it's meant to be, it's up to me and then take control. We're gonna give you some action steps here. All right, so first action step on this mistake, accept the fact that there are zero indicators that the market's going to crash, zero. Remove it from your head. While there are some price ranges in some markets uh, this year where it's set to, I'm sorry, where there are some price reductions is what that should say in some markets, this year is set to close with between 5 and 9% increase in home values. I wonder how many people actually know that. I mean, with all these headlines that are supposed to basically make you think there's a housing crash, do you all know that real estate in the mainland United States has increased in value by at least 5%, in some cases around 10% year mm -hmm. over year? So yes, despite the headlines about prices falling, home values have still increased. That's right. Now, low inventory, stable demand, lots of new construction, and rising prices are not indicators of a housing crash. Those things do not exist in a housing crash. Now, if any of that changes, you can hear about it here. We'll, well let you know. So it's important that we remind them that we are at, what, a 20 or 30-year low for the number of um, mortgages that are in any sort of distress. Yes. It's like less than 3%. It's less than 3% at historic low. And that includes all of the forbearances and things that happened around covid that's all baked in at this point. Do you remember all the people that were, you know, of course, these real estate prognosticators who were trying to sell you lists on how to get into REOs and all this other stuff, how they were saying, oh, you wait until all those people on mortgage forbearance, yeah. all those COVID mortgage forbearances, those houses are all going to default. None of them defaulted, did they? You see how the there are some people, guys, who only think that they can make money only think they can help people when the market's going one particular direction. And so what they do is they wait around 
and hope and pray that the sky falls so that they can be right. And that is, I suppose, a business model. But the reality of it is, is you can help people make money no matter what direction the market is going. You don't just have to wait for the direction that it's been going. For example, a lot of you, to Julie's point, we're waiting around for the interest rates to lower, waiting around for the mortgage stuff to clear, uh, become easier, or inventory to increase. Stop waiting around. There's inventory everywhere. It's not just where it's, you know, like what Federico discovered. It's uh, hidden in essence. You have to go to where it's at. You have to go to where the market opportunity is. Stop waiting for the market opportunity to show up. Um, on your uh, computer screen. <laughs> yes, and you know, when you go to new construction where he went, especially in those price ranges, go where the buyers are looking, you will also find listings. That's right. Okay, so again, well, we're back to the waiting game. So you said that, so yeah. we have to drill okay. down because I always have to remind myself and, you know, and you that we have people that are maybe listening to us the first time uh, ever. And yes, this is the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. Tens of thousands of people downloading it. But for the one person that's discovered us for the first time, sure. defining what Julie just said. If you're going to, as Federico did, go look, uh, essentially show buyers or go to a new construction area where the new construction is say 800 to say, you know, on up. Uh, chances are the person purchasing one of those new construction homes, they're going to have a house to sell. So that means that probably realistically 90% of the buyers, air quoting here, that are interested in new construction actually also are sellers. But how many of you think like that? How many of you think buyer or seller? You can't be both. Always assume that your buyer is actually a seller and where you focus your energies on the listing side of things because that's what's going to be the juggernaut to them moving forward with any, you know, like they're not going to buy anything but the sell of the home most likely. So you can't, if you just focus on the buy side of the conversation, you're never going to get to where the real opportunity is, is on the list side. Once you have the listing, you will obviously sell that house. Well, we've done studies on this. You'll sell an average of six other houses off one listing. With a buyer, you will sell a buyer, a house. So open your mind to the opportunities that are all around you. Stop thinking and stop sitting around waiting for you know something to change. You're the change that needs to happen if you're not liking your uh, you know your project your uh, your momentum right now into the new market. Yes, and you uncovered another mistake, which is assuming that you know it's just it's another buyer. I already am up to my eyeballs in buyers, and there's no inventory, so why would I want another buyer? You're missing the point. Buyers bring listings, and in those price ranges, in the right range, you can get buyers who have a listing that are less expensive than the new construction and more expensive than the new construction. Downsizing, you can actually work both ends of that. Well, it's a frustrating. Uh, it's frankly, the wrong way to go about it. If you're trying to sell a buyer a house uh, and try to find them the right house, the perfect house, all the rest of it, yet they have a house to sell, I'll give you a little you know, advanced coaching here. None of them are going to emotionally commit to purchasing something unless they happen to have the cash to pay for it, which isn't likely. Uh, you know, They're not going to have the cash without the sale of their current home. So they won't emotionally commit to anything until at least their first their existing home is listed for sale, let alone in contract. So this is the type of you know thinking that you need to adjust towards and realizing that the best opportunity is always going to be on the listing side of the business. That's right. So here's the thing. Back to point our mistake number one: waiting around. Well, what about interest rates? Interest rates will eventually get lower, but are not likely to go below five and a half to six and a half percent. Maybe even for the rest of your career. What we just went through is not the norm. So stop wishing for the old market and embrace the new market. Now that said, there was an interesting, uh, there are some political hubbub that's floating around 
about the fact that, you know, different politicians are starting to lobby for the idea that there's going to be, I told you about this. I heard that video. The crazy yeah. permanent 30-year mortgages at 3%, which, I mean, it sounds great, right? Even if it were 4%, it would be pretty interesting. <laughs> well, but yeah, they're going to sell like 100-year bonds and finance it and the whole thing. And it's that not could be, stimulate something. Oh, my gosh. That would, <laughs> but it's also going to, well, so let's think about this. You're going to massively increase demand. And what that's what is that going to do to the cost of real estate, as well as inventory availability? Right. So you might have a low interest rate, but you know the four hundred thousand dollars house you're interested in buying is now worth two million. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I would circle the wagons back probably to new construction if that happens. But yep. we'll see. We'll see. We'll monitor that. Okay. So the weight and gain. Uh, learn about several ways to achieve a lower rate and a lower payment while rates are higher than a lot of people want. Refer to last week's podcast about three ways to achieve lower mortgage interest rates. Learn about what the builders are doing. Many new home loans are closing today in our times where rates are over seven. The new construction loans are closing in the mid five, five and a half range right now. So take action to find out where in your market is that actually happening. All right. So mistake number two, there was a lot wrapped up in number one. Uh, number two, expecting your buyers to send you what they want to look at versus finding the right homes for them yourself. We've done so many podcasts. I know, but this is such a mistake. You know, I, yes, we know that buyers can find listings online. There's 5 million different resources. But what happens when they take them to you? Isn't it already in contract? Aren't there already multiple bids? And then you believe there's nothing and you wait for them to go discover something. It is not their job to find something. And furthermore, well, let me get into my points. I probably talked about this. So get and use the buyer presentation, which drills down on specifically what your buyer clients desire in their next home. That can be a mistake is not knowing the specifics. What is a deal maker and what's a deal killer? Are both people on the same page if you're working with a couple? Can you handle objections like, I want to wait for rates to come down or prices to come down or both? We talked about that previously. Now, once you know what they need, that they are motivated and they're qualified, it is your job to find them the right home. Think out of the box. Refer to our podcast series about how to find inventory. So for example, consider changing the type of property, single family to maybe a townhome or a condo or vice versa, and the price range. In fact, sometimes going a little bit down market can actually find good alternatives. Expanding the geographic search or looking at new construction. And there, there's a, a counterpoint here. I've been working on this with coaching clients, okay? Which is when a buyer does send you that magic listing, I got to see that. They're really juiced up about it. And that's the only thing they sent you today. Okay, so why that one versus everything else that they saw? Ask them why that one. And then have two or three backup houses set up. You can always cancel uh, showing appointments, right? Because what if they're wrong? What if the MLS pictures didn't have the power tower in the backyard? Have another plan. You have a showing appointment. Go sell something. Does that make sense? It does, of course. <laughs> but I mean, I just, I, we could talk forever about I this know. point because there are so many different places where they can go and look for homes that aren't uh, officially for sale. But really, I was thinking if I are, like, if I are coaching somebody right now, because you're gearing a lot of your points towards too many buyers, basically. Yeah. And your last point I really like because you're, in essence, saying, well, make make it so that the buyers you're working with, because there's never a true have-to-buy buyer. There's always want-to-buy buyers. In mm -hmm. other words, there's never a buyer. There's a, Buyers will always change their mind. That's the problem. They're always going to say, I'll wait till next year, wait to rates to fall, wait for pigs to fly, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Whereas if you're focusing on a listing, the sellers actually have to sell, usually for financial reasons or, you know, whatever. Um, and just overall right now, obviously you're going to make more money and have more leverage and freedom if you're focused on being a listing agent. So what would happen if you decided to actually become a coaching client, actually follow up? 
our system actually build up to your magic number of listings, which for many of you is maybe five or seven listings. Sometimes depending on your price point, it might only be three. And the only buyers you work with are those, are those sellers that want to buy something. In other words, stop working with buyers that don't actually have homes to sell. Start valuing your time more and you'll get far better results. But it's also going to force you to become a far better listing agent, far better you know, proactively generated for the sake of listings. And you're going to get vastly better at pre-qualifying because you're going to be, guess what? Choosy who you're going to work with. So if you're finding yourself emotionally and financially burning it at both ends, it's probably because you just don't have any standards. It's probably because you're working with just about anybody. You're willing to pay referral fees. You're buying all your buyer leads. You're not really running a business, guys, in the sake that uh, you know, you're going to have any kind of uh, you know, frankly, security going forward. So really pivot your thinking and ask yourself, would I rather be an a really an amazingly strong listing agent or buyer's agent? Every single one of you want to focus on being a listing agent. In a lot of ways, you have to kind of choose because the buyers will suck up all your energy and your time. Now, if you want to transition from being one to the other, go back to the fact that, you know, you need to pre-qualify better. You need to actually ask those buyers if they have homes to sell, depending on the price point, you're going to discover that most of them do. And then guess what you do? You pivot and focus on the listing side of it because that's when you're going to create the leverage. Joining our premier coaching program is free. Um, the link to join is below along with all the notes from today's show. So just scroll below and you'll see uh, if it's on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, it doesn't matter where. Scroll down. There are the notes for today's show. Yes, Julie and I create outlines for every single podcast we do for you. We do it so you guys can go back and you can read what we said. That way you can actually implement what we're asking and suggesting that you do. And while you're there, do join Premier Coaching. It costs you nothing. The link is right there below. Uh, or you can just frankly go to premiercoaching.com or text the word premier to four seven three seven two all right julie let's roll up to uh mistake number three. Oh, mistake number three yep all right not having enough leads in the first place speaking of lead generation yep if you're struggling with lead generation it's time to get some help before it's too late now more than ever it's critical that you generate more leads than you think you need in order to do the business you need to do to your point that no buyer ever actually has to buy. So you have to overdo your lead generation so that you can find those listing leads in particular. Well, if you want to sell, for example, if you want to sell 10 houses in the next six months, or maybe it's the next you know 60 days or next 30 days. And normally, let's say you are, you know, let's assume that you've, you're somewhat efficient and you know you have a ratio. Let's say, for example, if you have 10 um, well, let's say you have six seller leads. You know that statistically three or four of those are going to list with you in the next 30 to 60 days. You're going to need to double that in a market like this because people are, there's going to be a lot of other, a lot of headwinds that you're not necessarily going to be able to control mostly with lack of inventory. So you're going to have to pace out your uh, expectations and increase the number of contacts and increase the number of leads you're working with. But it always goes back to really drilling down in the leads you are working with. Otherwise, what you're going to quickly discover is that you have hundreds, if not thousands of unqualified, unmotivated, quote unquote, leads, and none of them are doing transactions with you. And why? Because you're not taking the time to go in there and pre-qualify them. If you're one of these agents who have falsely believed that the way to win this game is by having massive amounts of uh, leads, I challenge you to do this. Go in, grab our seller pre-qualification script or our buyer pre-qualification script, which turns into the seller pre-qualification script, and call every single one of your leads. You'll discover many things. Number one, the ones you've been dripping on for a long period of time. Some of them don't even know why you're messaging them or have never even seen your messages, let alone know who you are. Number two, some of them have already transacted months ago, but you didn't call them, so they didn't transact with you. Number three, you're going to find people that are actually motivated 
and they're waiting for you to call. You've been treating them like a buyer and sending them home buyer tips and all the rest of it through your drip campaigns. But now because you have them on the phone, they'll actually commit to working with you. You've got to stop being passive with your life, but especially with your lead generation. Well put. So that all goes back to not having enough leads in the first place. So sign up for Premier Coaching with our Harris Certified Coaches because they're going to start by asking some specific questions like, where did your past five transactions come from? Was it luck and hopium, or did you connect with those clients through a proven system or strategy? If it was a proven system or strategy, why did you stop doing it? How many leads do you actually have in your pipeline? To your point, what your story you were just saying, what I was thinking is a lot of agents think that they're leads, but they're just contacts. They're just people in your database. Why are you calling them leads? You don't know if they're a lead or not because you're not talking to them. Now, you also might have a lead conversion issue versus a lead generation issue. That's something that the coaches drill down on. Where are you spending money to generate buyer and listing leads? And what is that conversion ratio? And how many contacts are you actually making daily where you're speaking with a decision-making adult about real estate? That's just the beginning of great coaching questions to drill down on why you might not have enough leads or appointments. Well, where you're spending money to generate buyer and listing leads, I, I mean, obviously- It was assumptive. It was assumptive, right? In other words, <laughs> she's not suggesting you yeah. spend money to generate buyer and seller uh, listing leads, uh, but she's suggesting that you actually go in and question, frankly- uh, whether or not that money that you're spending to generate leads from those sources actually makes any sense. Because we know you're doing it. Because we know, <laughs> sorry, we know you're doing it. So why don't you actually go and count how many actual closed, how much money did you spend on those X leads, all right? And referral fees, or maybe you just paid a monthly fee or whatever it is. How much uh, revenue did you generate? How many hours did you spend to generate that revenue? And actually do some actual math to find out uh, really what you're making per hour on those leads. Because some of the leads that you guys are buying, they're costing 35% and then your brokers are then charging you like a, you know, some money on top of that. I've seen, it's actually become normal in a lot of major brokerages for someone to really uh, receive a reload lead, which generally are great leads, mm -hmm. but the amount of commission that the agent makes is usually after all the fees, about 20%. That's become normal in our industry. I, I mean, if you're new or if you need the money, I suppose that might not be a bad idea. Or frankly, if the commission check is large enough. But in many cases, you're still talking about a four or $500,000 transaction. And the amount of money you're making before you even you know, paid yourself, paid for the gas, paid for all the Starbucks you bought them, right? You're, you're making nothing. You got to start taking responsibility for the fact that you're avoiding doing the real work of real estate. Job number one is being a proactive lead generator. All right. Mistake number four, spending too much time chasing down your prospects or your leads to set the next appointment. This is especially true of buyers. I hear this all the time on coaching calls. Here's the action step. Again, the mistake, spending too much time chasing down your prospects. After a showing appointment where your buyer is not writing an offer, always set the next appointment before they leave the appointment that you're just ending. Set it for a couple of days out so you have time to find the next homes to show to them. Drill down further to find out why they liked or disliked about what you just showed them. It's not, when they say, it's just not for me, that doesn't really help you find what they'll really like. We'll have standards with these buyers again. I've noticed how all of Julie's points, as I've said this before, are all focused on the fact that the buyers are the ones that are essentially taking the wind out of so many of your sales. 
And, and that is always because the buyers are, they always are want tos. They're never have tos. The level of motivation from a buyer is never going to be the same as a seller. But you can work with buyers and probably should work with buyers just to have standards. One of which is they have to have realistic expectations. Number two is they have to be able to afford what they actually want. Number three, they actually have to be 100% fully pre-qualified, if not pre-approved, for the mortgage amount that they need, which means the lender has done all of the verifications, all the checking and the employment, and all the money looking and all the credit checks and all blah, 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 blah. It's all done. The only thing that the loan is subject to is the appraisal of the subject property, right? When you've got a buyer that's like that, chances are that buyer, though albeit never as motivated as a seller, is about as motivated as a buyer can be. You work with that buyer. If you're working with buyers that don't have, that aren't meeting your minimum criteria, which we coach you to have a minimum criteria for who you're going to work with, it's because you don't have enough leads and you're just grasping at whatever falls in your lap, hoping, hoping and praying that person actually works out and transacts. Have you noticed the people that you were actually the most professional with and most drilled down with are the ones that close the fastest and the ones that never buy are the ones that you know the least amount, but you still spend time with them, hoping and praying. After all, you've already wasted 14 seconds. Saturdays with these guys, you got to, you know, it's got to one day work out. You're yeah. going to land the plane eventually. Yeah. Howard Burton used to call those Pop-Tart agents. You'll just pop up and do whatever anybody asks you to do. So cut that out. Okay. Mistake number five, not knowing about new construction with more than 30% of available homes for sale being new builds right now. You're doing yourself and your buyer clients who are also seller clients and prospects a disservice by remaining ignorant about this source. So what do you do about that? Action steps. You can use newhomesource.com and of course your own Google search by town or zip code and find out which builders are building in your area. Start your own file or Google sheet where you're tracking things like the name of the builder or developer or the neighborhood, price range, type of homes, special financing, spec homes, name of the sales reps, etc. You've got to know this stuff. The MLS is not just going to hand it to you. Then you match your buyer clients with the right new construction and accompany them to check it out, just as Federico was explaining with his text. Before they do that without you, you know what? Buyers can do their own Google search, right? They find this on their own. They wander in, they get themselves in contract. A lot of new construction happens that way. Go back and listen to all the past podcasts we've done on new construction. It's really important. We're just, you know, obviously glossing over the surface of these new construction points. New construction is where it's at, where it's going to be at for probably the next five to 10 years. Uh, it is fascinating to me how little the industry is focused on this, but Julian, we, one of our neighbors that were invested in a, uh, it was originally going to be a um, huge uh, 60 or 70 unit um, condo complex in Austin. He's turning all those into rentals, which is great. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, better return on investment for us. But the moral of the story is, is that nobody knows that he's even building these. He told me he's building another one, wants to know if we want to invest, we're going to invest. And those might be turned into condos. There are stuff like this happening all over the United States, but you guys aren't discovering it because you're just looking in the MLS. You're just doing what your buyers are doing. Uh, that The market of the idea that you can find what's for sale from the MLS for a lot of reasons, and some of you aren't, haven't been in the industry long enough to know. Um, but for a lot of political reasons, frankly, politics amongst real estate brokerages, the MLS is being the de facto source for homes for sale. It's not going to work out that way anymore. You're going to see national brokerages that are going to start essentially creating their own MLSs with their own rules because they can. And that is absolutely positively what's going to happen because it's going to be a bigger attractor for potential agents to want to join that particular brokerage. Uh, that is what is going to happen in the next 12 months or less. Guaranteed. So just keep your eyes open to that. 
And when they do, guess what? They don't have to co-op or more importantly, they can um, pocket listing or they can coming soon that listing. They have their own rules that they can follow outside of the MLS rules. Mm -hmm. So you know what? That is probably what's going to happen in a market near you. So you're going to have to become more fluid with finding homes for sale. And that's okay because it gives you an unfair advantage in the marketplace. If you're knowing where to find real estate for sale, because it's not going to be an endless supply, right? You're going to discover when you do your homework, there's maybe... 10 or 15 different sources of properties. Maybe you find there's a, you don't know, who knows? Maybe there is some uh, defaults that you're, you can access. Maybe there are. I'm putting together a podcast for next week about all this, right. which is going to be all of the online resources other than the MLS, which guess what? Have inventory, HUD.gov, Fannie exactly. and Freddie. Uh, even tinyhomes.com. You've got farm and ranch listings. You've got all kinds of different things where you guys, it doesn't even cross your mind because the MLS isn't, you know, dripping listings on you. It's not necessarily your fault because many of you have gotten into the business in, uh, in the last 15 years, 99% of you. So you've only been selling, only had exposure to one type of market. And guess what? The people leading you, your brokers and your office managers have only been in the business for less than 15 years. So they themselves don't know how to look for inventory other than just the MLS. That's, it's just normal. People, our industry has been very spoiled for a long period of time. Well, it's not now, right? <laughs> and so you're going to have yeah. to learn how to actually work to do a great job for your clients because here's, here's the big picture here, right? So look at back at Federico. Federico is going to most likely sell that new construction home to the buyers that he was working with. Um, they're going to probably list their existing home with them, which they had a house to sell. Mm -hmm. uh, then those people that walked in that he tripped over, that's going to be at least another two transactions. They're going to buy the new construction. He's going to list their current home and on and on and on. And that new build rep and that new builder doesn't have any of their listings, doesn't have any of their inventory in the MLS. So you have to go there to know about it. And there are so many sources like that in every single marketplace. Why are sellers, builders and whatnot, um, not putting them in MLS? Traditionally, a lot of the sources that we're going to tell you about on the podcast and we teach you in the coaching business, uh, they don't ever put their stuff in the MLS. They don't have to. They don't have to. And so you, there always have been little carve-outs where there's been properties for sale. Mm -hmm. You know, investors have known about them and, and things like that. That other, you know, frankly, the rest of the public hasn't. You wonder where people get really great deals? Well, how about this, guys? There's something called, you know, you could... Uh, I, Look, we could go on and on, honestly. I'm <laughs> we will to, on a future podcast. I'm trying to stop myself because this is our favorite topic. But yes, go back and listen to uh, past podcasts on this topic. Yes, and next week's about uh, all those sources. Okay, so then we have number six mistake, ignoring open house opportunities. One of the best things about having low inventory, yes, there are good things about having low inventory, is how well open houses work at generating both listing opportunities as well as tons of buyer prospects, some of whom have listings to sell. So what's your action step? Host open houses following our proven open house system every weekend until you have at least three closable buyers and or seller clients. Some of them will be both. Get them in contract, then lather, rinse, and repeat. Turn your open houses into a predictable and proven source of business. I think, I, I have to look at my notes with Federico. I think that the story that he texted me was actually generated from an open house, which makes everything even all that much more connected. And I have to point out too, if you guys go back and listen to the top of the podcast where I was reading Federico's text, he, you know, when I just read it, it sounds very conversational, but you and I, Tim, we recognize all of the different little script hooks in there, right? But he's been doing it enough now that he sounds conversational. He's not weird about things like asking, are you funding your potential new construction with the sale of your home? 
Okay, that's part of the pre-qualification script, isn't it? But it didn't sound that way because he's a great coaching client who has integrated that into his own natural speak. That's right. So listen, it, there is opportunity everywhere. You are not experiencing any sort of hardship in the real estate industry, except if you're choosing to believe that there's hardship in the real estate industry. I'll tell you where there is lack. There's lack of knowledge of actually how to do the real work of real estate. And so if you're locked into the realization that yes, you can, and yes, you will uh, do the real work of real estate, then you will discover that this is going to be the best market you could ever possibly dream of because all of your competitors, and yes, guys, there are competitors. Your main competitor is not the one looking back at you in the mirror. The main competitor are the ones that are out there trying to actually list the houses that you want to list, work with the buyers that you want to work with. Competition is real. It's part of basically life. So when you accept the fact that you have to win the business because you are more competitive and offer a better overall value proposition than all your competitors, if you just accept that, stop fighting it, know that you have to get better. If you and I were swimming in an Olympic, you know, Michael Phelps type competition, you telling me that Michael's real competition is the man looking back in the mirror? No, it's the guy that in the, you know, five of the guys are swimming next to him that want to beat him by a fingernail, right? To the, mm-hmm. to the, the finish line. So get really, really clear. The way you win in this market or any market is becoming the best version of yourself as a real estate salesperson. And it's okay if that means you have to work harder than you ever have before to learn more. Because the other side of that, because there's really, to be very competitive in this market, there's not that much you have to learn. But once you learn it, once you stop fighting it, once you stop trying to make what worked in the past work in this market, you're going to be so happy because you're going to see things in a completely different way than all of your competitors do. And that's exciting. And you can tell when, you know, Federico's um, text to Julie that he gets it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) he gets it. And so can you. So don't resist because whatever you resist persists. It is the truth. And if you're resisting and embrace, if you're resisting the, you know, your highest and truest purpose on this planet, which is being of service to other people. Um, and if you're a real estate agent, which 99% of you are, your highest and truest purpose is being the best version of yourself as a real estate sales professional, helping people buy and sell real estate. Guys, it all comes down to skills. So learn the skills and you will not believe what comes on the other side of it. That's what we're all about. That's what we do. That's the reason this podcast is the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. And from what we understand, our premier coaching program is the number one uh, coaching program in the United States for real estate professionals. So your homework from today's show and like every show is please take something from this podcast that's going to be, you know, hopefully you're feeling motivated. Hopefully you're feeling educated. Hopefully you're realizing that there's opportunity all around you. It, you know, you you are in the right place at the right time. This is what it feels like to be in the right place at the right time. Now take the next natural step and go out there and be of service to other people. If you don't know what to do or how to do it, obviously consider joining our premier coaching program. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.